As one of America's largest financial services companies, Nationwide makes simplicity a priority so financial professionals can help their clients achieve their retirement goals. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Welcome to the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. I'm Tom Keen, along with Jonathan Farrell and Lisa Abramowitz. Daily, we bring you insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. Find Bloomberg Surveillance on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Bloomberg Terminal. Right now, the honor of the laureate from Columbia University, Joseph Stiglitz, joins us. And on any number of the topics we could talk about, we go to something dear to his heart is the gentleman from Gary, Indiana, long ago, knew different bouts of inflation fear and inflation scare. Joe Stiglitz, your basic message is would everyone calm down? Why is this inflation not like the inflation of Heller's 70s? Well, first of all, it's mostly a supply-side inflation. And think about some of the things that are really driving it. Take the price of energy, the price of oil. It's way up. We have a war in uh, Ukraine. We understand that. But we know over the long run, and I, when I'm talking about the long run, it's not that long, uh, the price of oil, uh, energy, is going to come down because the backstop, as we call it, uh, uh, we know we can produce uh, an unlimited amount of renewable energy at the equivalent of about mm-hmm. uh, 30 dollars $40, $50 a barrel. And it's, that number keeps coming down. So that is the number that energy is going to be right. at. So Joe, we're going to be disinflation. We're going to go through disinflation in the future. Well, now, I can't tell you when it's going to happen. Right. Oh, fair. Okay. You know, what's so important here, Joe, and if people even redux back to 1947 out to the Eisenhower disinflation and the two bouts of disinflation we had into the early 1950s, once inflation begins to disinflate, do you believe it keeps going or do we come down and stay at a certain point? which causes an uproar. Is there a momentum to a disinflation? Well, uh, people used to think that there was a momentum on inflation and then a momentum on disinflation. But uh, the forces for that momentum are much, much weaker today than they were, say, 50 years ago. Uh, 50 years ago, uh, unions were strong when prices went up. They demanded higher wages. The higher wages led to higher prices. Uh, unions are weak. And so we're back to, you might call, normal competitive forces. And what we saw in the years before the pandemic, that overall uh, supply was extraordinarily robust and prices were uh, kept down. Uh, and I think we're going to be returning to that kind of a world. 
Well, what's the Fed's role in this then? Because there is this belief out there that this is a different moment and people point to not just oil prices and commodity prices, but also this fissure between the U.S. and China and a reshoring of some of the supplies, which is naturally inflationary. Also, some of the conflicts inflationary uh, by nature with Russia and Ukraine. How much are you looking at a Fed that even if they don't want to, has to raise rates substantially to get ahead of inflation that may disinflate down the line, but not quickly enough to create some real threats to this economy? Well, first of all, you know, almost all those forces you cite are either long term or relatively small. Yeah, uh, we're going to be reshoring. Uh, we have low cost suppliers that are alternative to China, uh, Vietnam and Asia, uh, Latin America has a lot of capacity. So, yes, costs are going to go up and there's going to be a readjustment, uh, but I don't and it's but it's going to take over a number of years and it's not going to be that big. We ought, ought to get prepared for it. Um, what I worry is on the other side that the Fed uh, works too fast and too much. Remember, it takes about 18 months for the full effects of monetary policy to be felt. And in that span of 18 months, if the war in Russia comes to an end, the energy prices will uh, come down, and that will be a strong disinflationary force. Food prices will come down. There are already signs of that. And that will be a strong disinflationary force. You remember, over the last uh, 50 years, public policy has been telling farmers, don't produce. Yeah. <laughs> don't make so much food. And if we just reverse that policy, Prices of uh, agricultural goods are going to come down. Yeah. So, again, we have a backstop here that it's hard for me to believe that we'll sit by and simply let uh, prices be so high while we continue to subsidize our farmers. We're so, going to tell our farmers. Joe, it's, it seems like you think that the, uh, the potential error is worse by the Fed going too fast rather than too slowly, which is the opposite of what a lot of people are saying, including some Fed members. What would you have to see to change your mind in terms of the data, in terms of the incoming developments on the ground in the economy? Well, I would be looking for uh, a particular acceleration of inflation. Uh, you know, right now, wages are not keeping up with prices. Uh, really uh, the opposite of what you would expect in a very tight labor market. So if I saw real wages going up dramatically and I saw inflation start to take off uh, at a higher rate, rather now the, the rate of inflation mm -hmm. is dampening, it's still going up, but it's that much lower rate. Those are signs that I I would right. would lead me to take stronger action. Joseph Stiglitz, the laureate of Columbia. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more, Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. 
Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at cuttereconomicforum.com. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Right now, we got eight ways to go here with Kathleen Bustjancic, just so wonderful at Oxford Economics, as their chief U.S. economist. Kathy, let me set the groundwork for what Lisa and John want to talk about, which is just simply, where are we on the guesstimate of Q3 GDP now that July has closed? Do you have any handle on it, or is it just too early? Uh, hi, John uh, and Tom. Uh, happy to be with you. Um, so... You know, third quarter GDP is going to be quite important because we had the two negative prints for Q1 and Q2, so so-called technical recession. Um, we don't look for the large inventory uh, drag that you had in, in Q2 and also to Q1 uh, to some extent. So that's going to make things arithmetically look better, right? So we're looking for, you know, roughly around 1.5% annualized real growth for Q3, uh, but we don't have many hard data points, right, to, to really corroborate that. Um, and particularly consumer spending is, is always at the heart of, yeah. um, you know, GDP. Well, then link that into oil. I mean, we were at 120 on Brent, 124, whatever it was. We come down, many guests talking about, we'll get some real good news on oil. We've got the news this morning and I get, it's just OPEC plus and that. How sensitive is consumer spending to oil in the modern day, Versus in the 70s when we were driving around VW Rabbit diesels. <laughs> the, um, well, you know, the consumer is still very sensitive uh, to, to uh, energy prices, particularly gasoline. So, so oil obviously is going to have, be a big input to gasoline prices, but gasoline prices uh, have really um, weighed heavily on consumer sentiment and confidence and also consumers' pocketbooks. So the fact that gasoline prices are down 17% or so, that, that's big news. Um, still high, right? Still, you know, well above $4 a gallon. Uh, but the fact that we're seeing the decline, that may lift spirits a little bit and help ease things a little for the consumer. Uh, but, you know, just keep in mind what the Federal Reserve wants. And you mentioned the Fed officials still sounding very hawkish. They want things to slow down. They want the economy to slow down. They don't want it to crash. They don't want recession. But they do need things to slow down enable for inflation to continue to go lower. How much, Kathy, is the Federal Reserve inadvertently tracking oil prices? In other words, you were just talking about how people will have lifted spirits if gas prices come down. They might spend more. There might be a, a dip in some of the headline CPI figures. How much will the Fed use that to back away versus say, you cannot count on this? and it could change on a dime. 
Well, that's a good point. And we see the volatility across many asset classes, including particularly oil, and things could change. Um, but I, I think what they're going to be looking at um, is the fact that the headline number can influence um, inflation expectations. So whether it's market expectations, but more importantly, consumer and businesses, that's going to be important. And as long as gasoline prices continue to trend lower, that is really good news for all together, right, for all expectations and the actual prints. Core inflation is going to matter, though, too, right? The service prices, which we know have been rising, um, that's going to continue to still be an issue for the Federal Reserve. And, and they're not going to keep they're not going to take the ball, their eye off the ball. Let's put it that way. So today is either OPEC Plus Wednesday or ISM Services Wednesday, depending on what you think. Tomorrow is jobless claims. It's also the Bank of England. And on a Friday is the big jobs report. Which data, what type of data are you watching? And I keep asking different guests the same question because that has been the key question for the Federal Reserve. What data matters to determine their policy? Well, every little bit matters because uh, it, it fits a, it's part of the jigsaw puzzle, the, the broader portrait of, of the macro economy. Uh, but I would say of this week, I would be looking towards the payroll number um, just for the fact that uh, many of us have been saying, you know, we're in a technical recession, but not a true recession because the labor market is so strong. When the labor market is strong, it provides income and that's the wherewithal for consumers to keep spending, even though they're getting hit by, by still high prices. If you start to see cracks in the labor market, that right. becomes a very different story. Kathy, you and I have been through thick and thin on this. And right now, as I was kidding John Farrell, I'm drowning in gloom. I mean, the level of gloom out there, worry, the hand-wringing, it's, you know, is it 07, is it 09, you know, collapse of the great financial crisis? No. How bad is it out there, Kathy? Help me. <laughs> Well, it, it, in our opinion, is not anything near the great financial crisis or the, the COVID recession that we just went through. Um, at, at worst, it would be you know a moderate recession, in our opinion. But we think if we do fall into a recession, it could be quite shallow. Um, you know, we we are not in the camp that thinks that unemployment rate needs to go sharply higher to bring inflation down. We're already seeing goods inflation uh, trending lower. And, um, and we think well, eventually, right, uh, rental prices will come down because home okay. prices. Well, Sam Stovall, a CFR, was just on modeling nine down to 7% or something like that. Do you detect a pause on the way down or is there an inertial force to it that really gets us back towards the vaunted 2% that, that the Fed speakers talk of? Well, we, we have a similar forecast, actually, for this year. We think 9%, we're, we're kind of trending around 9%, maybe 8 8 for the next few months. By year-end, somewhere around 7%. Wow. But the year-on-year -year comparisons get much easier next year. And that's the key. And, and you don't need outright price declines, right? The levels don't have to decline. Just the month-to-month -month change has to slow. And we need to see service price inflation start to cool. But again, you don't need outright declines uh, in price levels. And I think that's important to keep in mind. Kathy, how much does the uh, policy mix in Washington, D.C. change the picture at all for you, whether it's the policy internationally with China or some of the domestic bills that you're seeing proposed? 
Yeah, I, you know, right now the the size of uh, you know the 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 Build Back Ma- Mansion uh, bill is um, rather small, right, compared to what we've just gone through in terms of fiscal policy, and it's over a ten year period, so it incrementally could be positive for the economy. We believe overall, especially if it starts to boost innovation and um, technology, but but not a big game changer for us. I mean, it's just. Right now, um, there is not a reason for fiscal policy to pick up a lot and boost the economy because we want to see things cool down. Uh, in terms of geopolitical, that that is always a bit of a wild card, right? Um, it, it, we didn't really know what was going to happen with Russia and Ukraine. We don't really know what's going to play out with China and Taiwan. A lot of brinkmanship, and I think that makes you know makes us nervous, makes the markets nervous. Um, and we'll, we'll have to see how that plays out. But that, that's always a wild card for us. Hey, Kathy, can I get to the academic debate of the moment in economics? And it has implications for financial markets. It's being led at the moment by Olivier Blanchard over at the Peterson Institute. And the question I'll ask is the question they ask. It's do declines in vacancies involve less increases in unemployment when the initial vacancy rate is this high? Kathy, have you spent some time looking at that? Because that seems to be the debate from Blanchard et al. going against, say, Governor Waller over at the Fed. Yeah, I mean, traditionally, um, when when the vacancy rates decline, you do see a large increase in the unemployment rate. But we think this time is quite different. There is, um, even though the economy is slowing down, we still have a really tight labor market, and there's still more jobs out there than workers. So I think it is possible to cool the labor market and cool the economy without seeing a real large increase in unemployment rate. We, we, we may get some, right? Uh, but we're talking, you know, are we going to go to, you know, 2%, 3%, 4% higher? We, we don't think that's necessary to, to bring inflation down. We, we think there, there is a way to kind of thread that needle, even if we have a bit of a mild recession. Kathy, awesome to catch up with you, as always. Kathy oh, yeah. Janch is there oh, yeah. of Oxford Economics. Isaac Boltanski is a perfect person to speak to. He's with BTIG and yes, Director of Policy Research, but writes very informed notes on the synthesis of legislative into presidential politics as well. Isaac, I want to go to a photo op pass, the fist bump, and maybe a photo op forward, which is the president meeting with the leadership of China. I mean, what does Mr. Biden need on the photo op past and the photo op forward when we see this morning's slap of OPEC plus? You know, it's it's hard to overstate how disappointing this OPEC plus decision is for the Biden administration. Yeah, frankly, it's the geopolitical equivalent of a slap in the face. The Biden administration made a huge miscalculation. Their bet was they could go to Saudi Arabia. They could have that fist bump picture with the crown prince, which carries a bit of political complexity to it, but that that would help make an increase in production easier for OPEC. This 100,000 is not worth it or any of the political baggage that came along with it for the Biden administration. You are perfect about the machinery of our legislative branch. What does the, the people of Capitol Hill think about a change in the gallon of gas? They're not looking at every nickel move, are they? But what are they looking at? Well, look, in, in, for a lot of these economic data points, there is a it's, it's almost a political war shock test, right, where um, depending upon where you are on the ideological spectrum, you can use um, any of these data points in your flyers, in your press releases, on the campaign 
trail. But the reality is folks are feeling it at the pump. They're feeling it in their rent. They're feeling it at the grocery store. And I think that that is going to pull through uh, to the election. And even though we had some sort of cross currents with the uh, primaries and decisions last night um, that tell us a little bit of a jarbled story, to me, one of the reasons I have so much confidence that the House is going to flip, Tom, is because of the inflation story. That impact on the pocketbook gives me confidence that Republicans are going to take yeah. the House. Yeah. Isaac, how much can President Biden come out and seem angry about this, say this is a repudiation of the good graces that he showed? How much does he message that sort of disappointment in this versus at least it's something? In other words, how does he pivot uh, from what you just called a slap in the face from the Saudi Arabian kingdom? I mean, what we've seen thus far from the Biden administration is that the president will still speak optimistically uh, and positively about this. He will focus on attempting to cajole OPEC plus on the next decision. But we're going to hear some, I think, pretty sharp commentary from the cabinet members around this. Um, I don't know yet what the underlying justification is, as you said earlier. Is this a supply or demand decision? What really drove OPEC plus's thinking here? But for the Biden administration, they were desperately hoping to get more than 100,000 barrels a day to alleviate the pressure at the pump in the coming weeks and months before the midterms. The good news is that gas prices have been down every single day since the middle of June. If they weren't heading in that direction, Isaac, this would be much more controversial. Isaac, we always appreciate your time, sir. Great to catch up with you again. Isaac Boltanski there of BTIG. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs, to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Nobody ever says make it complicated. That is why Nationwide makes simplicity a priority by providing financial professionals with straightforward, client-ready resources. From clear strategies to help clients meet retirement savings and income needs to ways to cover rising health care costs and more. Nationwide simplifies planning so more time can be spent helping clients. Nationwide is on your side. Nationwide Investment Services Corporation, member FINRA, Columbus, Ohio. The countdown has begun. This May, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg, held in conjunction with our official partners, the Qatar Ministry of Commerce and Industry and Media City Qatar and premier sponsor QNB. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections and gain unique insights. Learn more at QatarEconomicForum.com. Kristen Biddley joins us now from City Global Wealth Management. Kristen, I was going through the notes from you, and this just jumps out to all of us. We have shifted to our most cautious yet still fully invested portfolio since the first quarter of 2020. Kristen, what does that mean? 
So what we've said, and we've said this for the past couple of months, is really looking at where we could go from here. And so there's three different scenarios that we could see for markets and for the economy. Robust, resilient, or a recessionary scenario. Robust, really strong growth. I don't think anyone is really calling for that. We have right now about a 50-50 chance in terms of tipping over into a true recession, not a technical recession, or seeing that resilient, slowing growth environment. And what we want to do is prepare our portfolios for both. So the changes that we recently made in terms of investing in High quality equities, we've been there all along, really year to date and starting in Q3 of last year, upping our quality and our fixed income portfolios. And we also pulled back on some of our commodity positions, energy positions, due to the fact that we're seeing some of those inflationary pressures abate. And that was really more in our portfolios for a hedging purpose than any type of long haul. Kristen, you're so good down the income statement. What did you learn about margin dynamics is, I believe we've got 70x percent of earnings in right now. What have you learned about what we need to study down the income statement? So what we need to look at really going into Q2, the end of Q2 earnings and Q3 earnings, I think when we look at this rally that we saw in July, I know a lot of people pointed to that there's a potential Fed pivot some dovish comments. I don't think that was it at all. I think earnings showed some resiliency that was not anticipated. But where was it on the income statement? I don't, you know, I get the earnings were there and we chat up revenues as well. Was this about gross margin? Was it about EBITDA dynamics? Where operating income? Where was it on the income statement that you saw? It was actually a top line revenue. And so I think when you look at the top line revenue growth that we saw, I think that was surprising because everyone was looking, I don't care what sector you're looking at, you are looking at consumer spending. Consumer spending is 65% of GDP, and we were trying to look for cracks in the consumer backdrop in Q2. We started with financials. We looked at the loan loss reserves, better than feared. Basically, everything came out better than feared when it came to the consumer. The only real cracks that we started to see were in the mass market retailers, right? Like Walmart, Best Buy. We saw some commentary there in terms of the shift in consumer spending pattern. And this is why when you look at our portfolio and how we're allocated, we want to prepare for those two different situations, resilient or recession, because from here, if consumers are shifting their consumer their spending patterns, if they're pulling away from services, if we're seeing some of that dynamic over the summer that really was just revenge spending and traveling, getting a lot of that out of the system, and now they're preparing for a recession, along with companies preparing for a recession, that's going to start to flow through to earnings. And we're going to see some, some, some estimates revised down from here. We hear the phrase data dependency all the time. What is your data dependency as you try to gauge <clears throat> whether there is a broadening out in that weakness of consumer spending that we saw anecdotally in the Walmarts and the Targets, but not that much elsewhere? Yeah, so I, I think what we're going to have to look at is is really some of those, the data around whether, so take inflation, right? And, and I think what people can agree upon right now, growth is slowing. Core inflation is actually proving persistent, but headline inflation is slowing on energy prices. So I think this tightrope rope tight rope walk <laughs> that we're going to have is really on the sense that some people, the, the the more resilient bulls are pointing to commodity prices coming over, gasoline prices coming down. But I think you still have the shelter costs, right? You still have that housing affordability has deteriorated substantially. And so that balance that the average consumer is really walking through. So I think you can see spending patterns in credit cards. You can see overall consumer patterns there. And then looking through in terms of the inflation dynamics that we're facing and whether some of that core inflation is stickier than expected. Kristen, super cautious. It's great to catch up. Kristen Bidley there of City. 
This is the Bloomberg Surveillance Podcast. Thanks for listening. Join us live weekdays from 7 to 10 a.m. Eastern on Bloomberg Radio and on Bloomberg Television each day from 6 to 9 a.m. for insight from the best in economics, finance, investment, and international relations. And subscribe to the Surveillance Podcast on Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, Bloomberg.com, and of course, on the Terminal. I'm Tom Keen, and this is Bloomberg. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum, powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers, and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights, and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com.